All right, let's go to the Lord. Father, uh, we do pray tonight that, Lord, as we're gathered here once again, that we would grow in the grace and the knowledge of who you are. God, that we would have better and great understanding. And, and uh, Lord, that you would just really speak to our hearts. I think this is a great chapter to look at and think about things in our own lives as once again we're transported back a couple of millenniums, two or three millenniums to look at something that you were doing in that generation. And God, I pray that above all we would remember you're the same yesterday, today, and forever. And we would know that the same God that was guiding and directing Nehemiah, that was speaking to his heart, it's the same God that we serve today. So Lord, open up our hearts to receive and, and uh, Lord, again, give us that, just even if it's that tiny bit of minuscule of faith to trust you and to walk in what you've shown us. So God bless this time, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. We started it last week on, on Nehemiah and looking at him and you know, the interesting thing to me about Nehemiah is He's been doing what he's been doing for a while. He's been involved with the government there in, in uh, I was gonna, in Babylon, but they're in Susa, but same government. He's been involved with that government for quite a while because he's reached this pretty high position of a cupbearer, but once again, remember, a cupbearer wasn't just a cupbearer. He's the one that probably was a close advisor because he's always hanging out with the king. So he's reached that high position and, and we wonder why some of these guys didn't go back with that, that generation that took off and went back. Remember, it's been 70 years that they've been back in the land and here he is still serving King Artaxerxes and, and sometimes people go, well, why did he stay? Why didn't he go back? I think the same reason Daniel didn't go back and others, God placed him in that position. But then he gets this vision from God to do something. And we're gonna read tonight, listen, tonight it sounds like it's kind of fast. I believe this vision has been percolating for a couple years in his heart. Last time we looked and he asked the people who came back, remember some people came back from Judah and he goes, how is it there? And remember their report, it really stinks. Now, I think he kind of already knew that, but he's trying to gather information and look at things. Now, tonight, we go four months later. So, we, we you know, that's a while. And I, I believe, listen, I believe he's been praying for four months. I believe he's been thinking about for years, but definitely these last four months, I think he's been thinking about, man, I got to get back there. And how am I gonna do that? And how is that gonna work out? You know, one thing I know personally, when God puts a call on your life, man, you, you pray, your prayer life goes like through the roof because you're scared about it, you're worried about it, you're wondering if that's really from God, did I really hear from God, does he really want me to do that? Or is it something else? And you kind of wrestle with it and you go back and forth. So, hey, Nehemiah is no different than us. And I believe the Lord spoke to him. And whether the Lord spoke to him audibly or the way he speaks, like it, I've never heard the voice of God audibly. I think if I did, I think I'd wet my pants. That's what I think would happen. But I've heard the voice of God. And I believe, you know, I'm not sure God said, Nehemiah, get everything together and go back. 
or if God just impressed on his heart like he does us, do this. So he's been wrestling. Now, once again, think of his position. You're high up in the government. How are you going to go and how are you going to explain to this person you've been serving, hey, here's what I really think I ought to do. So verse 1, as we get into this, verse 1, it says, And it came to pass in the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when the wine was before him, that I took the wine and I gave it to the king, and now I had never been sad in his presence. Now a couple things. We're given the month and the year, and we're given the month and the year in chapter 1. One. So this has been four months, and, and I think that's important. And we've gone four months. So we, we went from the middle of December, middle of January time frame to now we're middle March, middle April time frame as we're looking at their months and the way it was divided back then. So it's been four months. And again, as I said, I think he's been praying like crazy for four months. But I believe we were given this date for another reason. There's another guy who wrote a prophecy who was in Babylon, his name's Daniel. And in Daniel chapter nine, in verse 25, Daniel says this, know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the command to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until Messiah the prince, there shall be seven weeks and 62 weeks and the street shall be built again and the wall and even in troublesome times. Daniel gave a prophecy and said, here is when the Messiah is going to come into Jerusalem. And it's 69 weeks or 69 seven-year periods that he's given, which is 483 years if you, if, you, if you do that math. So listen, all of that's given. Now here we're told in the fourth month, or the month of Nisan, I'm sorry, not the fourth month, the month of Nisan in the 20th year of King Xerxes, we can do the figuring. We know when that was. That would have been middle March time frame, maybe into April, and the year would have been uh, 445 BC. So if you do 483 years, and they do 360-day years, so that comes out to, I did the math earlier, 173,880 days. So if you do all of that math, you figure it out, that comes to approximately sometime in April in 32 AD. You know what happened sometime in April 32 AD? Somebody walked in to Jerusalem. His name was Jesus. And it's interesting to me that we have that kind of information and, and people will say, well, I'm not so sure, you know, the Bible is, you know, accurate, it's the word today. That is pretty accurate. And what blows my mind, and, and I don't want to spend a whole bunch of time, but I, I love this part. I love this whole section that we're, we're looking at and that in Daniel because I think it's important because I don't know if you know it, Daniel is about the most picked on uh, prophetical book written. Why? Because it's so accurate. I mean, Daniel talks about kings and queens and battles that go on that are centuries after him and sometimes a millennium after him. And they go, there's no way that guy could have known that. And they're absolutely right, unless it was revealed to him by God. So listen, man, I get fascinated with it. And especially this part where, where hey, Daniel, by now, I think Daniel's gone. This is personal opinion because he was part of that first deportation. And, and I think... I think you know, I think Daniel is like, I think he's sitting in the presence of God. When Nehemiah gets this, 
But do you think there's a tinge in Nehemiah going, oh, this is an important thing. Do you think whoever wrote this, and, and I believe it was either Nehemiah or Ezra, do you think they recorded the date on purpose so people would know? So listen, that all happened, and it just so happened at that time period that, that already, already the Lord is speaking to Nehemiah. It's in his heart, and this wine shows up, and he's the wine taster, right, the cup bearer. And remember, the cup bearer is the guy who would sip the wine, and then he would give it to taste it. And now he says, listen, he says, I, I, I've never been sad. He goes, now I've never been sad in the presence, in, in, in his presence before. Now think about, just think about this for a moment. If the guy giving you the wine isn't real happy, you're gonna wanna make sure he doesn't croak before you drink the wine, right? I mean, that's the whole point of it, man. And, and so this guy's kind of coming in. He's not doing real well. You're going, how are you feeling? Is it a virus? Sorry, I couldn't help it. <laughs> What's going on? What's going on with you? So, so listen, then it tells us, it says, therefore, the king said to me, listen what the king says. He says that. Why is your face sad? I love that, don't you? He doesn't, he doesn't say, why are you sad? Do you hear what he says? Why is your face sad? Why does your face look like that? Because I was born with it, that's why. But, you know, why is your, and, and here's what that's telling me. He wasn't hiding it. Nehemiah, listen, Nehemiah was really hurting at this point. He's got to respect this guy. Think about everything going on in his heart and in his life. He knows that God has called him to this specific task. He knows that. But he doesn't know quite how to communicate that to the king because here's what I think. I think he loves this king too. I think, I think they have a good, good relationship. Now how am I gonna tell him? And, and listen, I have this obligation to go, but I'm torn and these guys just came and told me it's really as horrible as I thought it was. And he's going in and he's got this dilemma. And you know, there are times, a lot of times, before service, and sometimes that's why I hide out before service. There's a lot of times where my mind is just going really, really hard, and I'll walk through, and I don't talk to people, and they'll go, well, thank you, you really look mad. I'm thinking. I'm not mad or sad, I'm thinking. And I think the same thing here. I think he's trying to process everything and put it together, and the king says, man, why is your face so sad? And then notice what he says, since you're not sick, right? Look at, I see you're sad, but you're not sick, hopefully. So why is it that way? And then he says, listen, I believe this is nothing. Here's what the king said. This is nothing but sorrow of heart. The king goes, I know. Listen, I can look at you. We're close enough I can read you. So he lets him know, and then, and then, Listen to Nehemiah, so I became dreadfully afraid. Dread Listen, he didn't just become afraid. He freaked out, right? How do I tell the king this? What am I gonna use? How, how am I gonna tell him I don't wanna be here anymore? And you know, there's a whole bunch of, listen, a lot of people write like you're never supposed to go into king's presence sad and you're not supposed to do this and you're not. And I think, listen, I think that, I think all of that is just like, I, I think, why get sidetracked with that? Here's the thing. He's freaking out about what's going on. He's gone in. The king can see that he's troubled and this is going on. And then, he, and then he's like, how do I tell him? 
How do I verbalize this? Have you ever been in that situation? You ever been in a situation where you know what you know and you know what you have to do and it's not, listen, it's, for some it's not good news, for others it might be good news, but you gotta, you gotta do it and, and now you're confronted with that. You know that thing that gets in your gut? I hate that. And you just feel it in your gut and you're going, I don't wanna say this. And if you're a guy, you say, honey, you tell him. I just don't want to do this, man. I don't, I don't want to get this out. And so listen, man, I can, I can just feel that going on. And then verse three, he said, and I said to the king, may the king live forever. And again, that was something obviously he's going to say because he's drinking his wine. And if he's not going to live forever, that means he's got bad wine and he's going to die. So he wants the king to live forever. So he says, listen, may the king live forever. Why should my face not be sad? I love this conversation, right? Why should my face be sad? He said, why? He says, the, he says, my face is sad. Why shouldn't it be sad? When the city, the place of my father's tombs, lies in waste and its gates are burned with fire. He goes, why shouldn't I? Listen to what I'm hearing about, about home. He goes, that's why I'm sad. And it's bumming me out. And then the king said to me, what do you request? So I prayed to the God of heaven and then I said to the king, listen, man, I love this. Notice this quick prayer. Had to be a quick prayer, right? And I believe, listen, I believe we can shoot up quick prayers when necessary if we've been taking the time to pray when we have the opportunity. If we're not taking the time to pray when we have the opportunity, we're not gonna shoot up the quick prayer because we're not a prayer. And so it's not gonna be there. And, and here's something else I love. Look at the difference in, in approaching, hey, he's approaching two thrones. And watch us throughout this dilemma. He approaches the throne of the king, how? Fearfully, kind of wondering what's gonna happen. He's got that trepidation, that gut feeling, and he's careful about how he approaches. How does he approach the throne of grace? Boldly he goes in, right? Boom, he's there. He doesn't have to worry about whether God's in a good mood or not. He doesn't have to worry about whether God's gonna hear him or not. He doesn't have to worry about whether God's gonna show him favor or not. He knows that. He can go right into the presence of the Lord and so that should be our hearts. We should have that understanding that, man, you know what? Leaders may scare me. People in power may scare me, but my God should never scare me that way to come to him. And, and I love it, man. He shoots up this prayer and it's kind of like this. Oh, Lord. I think that was his whole prayer. <laughs> oh, Lord. You guys know my favorite prayer in the Bible is Pete's, right? As he's sinking, Lord, help. That's the greatest prayer ever. And so I think it's kind of the same thing. He goes, what is your request? And, and in his heart, and you know what? Maybe he's even reversed, reversed rehearsed this a hundred times. Do you guys ever practice what you're gonna say, especially if you have kind of a difficult thing and, and you kind of go over it and over it? I don't, and that's not good. <laughs> I'm not one of those people that I'm gonna like, you know, kind of, well, I'm gonna say this and they're gonna say that and then I'm gonna say this and I, I have it all figured out. I just like go in and, Let's just do it. Let's do this unrehearsed. And my wife gets on me all the time, really? You're not thinking about what you're gonna say? No. Why not? I don't think that far ahead. 
I just think that's one of my problems in life. But, well, that's why I broke my leg riding a bike. But, hey, so listen, and he shoots up this prayer, and he says to him, God, listen, Lord, I need your help. Verse 5, and I said to the king, if it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in your sight, I ask that you send me to Judah, to the city of my father's tombs, that I may rebuild it. Wow, that is a huge, that's a huge request. Notice one thing important. He didn't bring up the name Jerusalem. Why? Why doesn't he bring up Jerusalem? I think it's raining. Sorry. No, that's not what he said. That's not why he didn't bring it up. Oh. People at home are like, they just turned it off. (laughs) Why doesn't he bring up Jerusalem? Because Jerusalem represented to that, to Persia and to Babylon, rebellion and discord. I think he knows that, and he's careful. Listen, he's careful about what he says. And you know, for us as Christians, because here's what I look at, everything Nehemiah is wanting to do to restore Jerusalem and, and restore the walls of the city, we need to be as Christians wanting to restore the walls of the church. And, and more than that, how about getting it a little bit more personal? Restore the walls in our heart. Not barrier walls, but protective walls and, and what's going on. And we need to be careful how we approach people. And he's careful about what he says. And he's not just going to blurt something out. He's, and I think, he, I think if anybody could do it, he could. But he's not. He says, hey, here's what's going on. I would really love to go back to Judah to the city of my fathers. Now, Artaxerxes knows exactly what he's talking about, and he knows exactly what he's talking about. But sometimes, listen, if we choose our words carefully, we don't bring up defense mechanisms, and we don't bring up those, and make that other person feel like they're being picked on, or like you're coming against them, or like you're aggressive. You're careful about how you say that. And and, hey, he goes, hey, I wanna do this. And, And then the king said to me, the queen also sitting next to him, listen, this is more of an informal thing, I think. I think we get the idea of the queen here sitting next to him, that this wasn't a real formal thing. This was, this was just kind of those guys hanging out, so to speak. Now, a lot of people make a big deal, and they go, well, Nehemiah was really close to the queen. I'm not thinking that because he's a young guy, and I don't think that would be a good thing. And, you know, I, I think that's kind of, that's I, I think it's the whole idea of this is like, this is like family. And he says, hey, I want to go back. I want to go back and I want to rebuild the walls. I care, I care about that place. And so the king said to him, with the queen sitting next to him, the king said, how long will your journey be? Now I read ahead, it's going to be 12 years. And then some. So he says, hey, Nehemiah, how long? How long is it going to be? How long is this going to take? You get the idea that the king loves him? I don't want you gone for a long time. I kind of need you. You're close to me. So how long is your journey going to take? And he says, and and, uh, then he says, and when will you return? So it pleased the king to send me, and I set a time. Notice how brief this is. Like, this isn't the important thing of how long it's going to take or whatever. We don't need to know that. Now, him and the king worked it out, right? He says, it pleased the king to send me, so, so uh, I set a time. And furthermore, now, have you ever noticed once you breach, once you breach the difficult part, 
how now you can sit down and you can negotiate or talk about things and you can go a little bit deeper. You don't, you don't just, you're not terrified anymore. You're like, okay, all right, yeah, I'm going to go back to Jerusalem. Oh, you know what? Here's a, here's a couple other things. I just, just off the top of my head. Now, these aren't off the top of my Here's what's going on. This guy has planned Again, I think for years, but we know for months, he's been planning and he's looked ahead and he's made, he knows what he's going to need. He knows exactly what it's going to take. And so here's, he's ready. Furthermore, I said to the king in verse 7, if it pleases the king, let letters be given to me for the governors of the region beyond the river that they must permit me to pass through till I come to Judah. So first of all, here's what I need. I know I need letters to get through the bad guys. The guys who hate Judah. Now, something else you need to realize. Nehemiah is asking this king, Artaxerxes, to reverse decrees that he's already given. He's already said, stop building. Quit doing that. If you were here with Ezra, I know that was a long time ago. But if you're here for that, he's already said that. And, and uh, now he's saying, I want you to reverse all that. I want you to give me permission to go back. And not only that, because you have certain people in that area. I need letters from you. I need letters signed that give me permission to pass through to go all the way to Judah. Oh, and while we're talking about it, how about this too, verse 8. And I need a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the king's force, that he must give me timber to make beams for the gates of the citadel which pertains to the temple for the city, for the city wall, and for the house that I will occupy. So here's what he's saying. Not only do I want that, I want, not only, I want your lumber. Now, don't tell me this guy hasn't been planning. Don't tell me he hasn't been thinking about this and he's got a strategy of what to do. And I think that's an important lesson for us to think about. Hey, man, are you planning? And I'm not saying that we have to be those people that have a five-year plan. I don't, you know, I have a lot of people say, what's your five-year plan for the church? And you know what? my pat answer is because I'm pat and that's the only answer I can give. Here's what I tell them. My five-year plan is to teach the Bible. Now, I'm not a, I'm not a long, but I do, I do when, when we get ready to do something, I do have a plan and I want to execute the plan and I want to go through the plan. But I loved at the conference that we were at last week, David Guzik, it was so great. David Guzik said, hey, there's those guys who are great visionaries and then there's those of like he said he was one and I'm, I'm one of the same, where I just put my head down and plod through things. Like I'm not this great visionary that I have, you know, I mean, I have some dreams and, and stuff, but I'm, I'm, not a, I'm not a like, wow, I see all of this stuff. And that's why I hang out with some people who do. Robert Furrow, he's a visionary. He's fun to hang out with because he kind of, you know, he, he kind of rubs off on me and I hope I can rub off on him a little bit because he gets crazy. So... But this guy's, been, this guy's been at it. I need the lumber. Write a letter to the keeper of the forest so I can get lumber. Not just, listen, he doesn't just say, and notice, notice that there's a little caveat in there. I want it for the temple. I want it for the gates. I want it for the wall and for my house. Yeah. Excuse me? <laughs> Your house means you're not gonna live here, right? 
I want it for my house. And I think he kind of went through that really quick. And then, and then it tells us at the end of verse 8, and the king granted them to me according to the good hand of my God upon me. Now something I want us to notice, he didn't say the king granted all this to me because I'm a great planner, because I strategize this. Why did the king give it to him? Because he has a good God. And that's something we never need to forget. Things happen in our lives because we have a good God, not because we're great at things, not because we put things together great, not because we know what we're doing. Even if all of that is true, it only happens because you have a great God. I love this about Nehemiah. He never takes credit for things. Oh, and now, now, listen to verse nine. I went to the governors in the region beyond the river and I gave them the king's letters. I bet, man, I bet he was holding them out as he was going through there. And now the king had sent captains of the army and horsemen with me. Have you noticed there's a huge difference? There was that other guy that we talked about, Ezra went back. Remember, he was there with Artaxerxes, and Ezra went back, and remember when Ezra went back, they said, hey, he goes, I don't need anybody, I'm trusting the Lord my God. And then now, Nehemiah goes back, and he goes back with a whole contingency, it sounds like, it sounds like a major, major military force with him. And here's what some people say, well, you know, Nehemiah didn't really trust God. That's not true. Number one, we're all different. Praise God, huh? I'm thankful for that. I don't like it when people try to be someone they're not. You know, and sometimes, say, hey, sometimes we have heroes, sometimes we have people we look up to and, and we respect and, and, and we almost try to be like them. I was reading uh, J. Vernon McGee again. And, and he was saying when he first started out in ministry, he was, he was trying, to, he's trying to mimic this guy that he admired. And someone in his church took him to lunch. He said, say, let's go to lunch. And they go to lunch, and sometimes that's scary when people from the church ask you to lunch. Never know what's gonna happen. This could be really good or it could be really bad. So the guy asks him to lunch, and they're having lunch, and he says, and I guess he was an older guy, and McGee was young in his ministry, and, and so he says, hey, he says, can I give you a word of advice? He goes, sure. He goes, we want a genuine J. Vernon McGee, not a new invented so-and-so. Don't try to be someone you're not. You're not gonna do good at it. Be you and let God use you. And hey, I think Nehemiah was Nehemiah. Oh, and by the way, Ezra went as more of a spiritual leader and more of a, a contingency from Jerusalem. Nehemiah is a person in the government in an official capacity there in uh, Susa or, or Babylon, whatever we want to say, in Persia. He has to have that escort in order to go through. So he's got this big military entourage with him. And then it says in verse 10, when Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite official heard of it, they were deeply disturbed that a man had come to seek the well-being of the children of Israel. So those are the two guys. Remember, we were introduced to them in Ezra. These are the two troublemakers. And here's something very interesting because I did read ahead. They kind of have connections within Israel, within Judah. One of them is even married into it. And Tobiah is more of a Hebrew name than it is an Ammonite name. So there's something suspicious, you know, going on there. But hey, they're against him. So right away he meets them. He's got to give them. And I kind of get this picture. They kind of come out, blump, blump, blump on their horses. And he goes, got a letter. Bye. 
And he gets to Jerusalem. So, so listen, he kind of just blows by them. They're going to come back on the scene, but he blows by them to get there. And then verse 11, so I came to Jerusalem and was there three days. So he comes in and he chills out. 800-mile journey, you're going to chill out, right, if, you're, if you've walked or ridden for 800 miles. So he chills out. And then it says, listen, then I arose in the night and a few men with me and I told no one what my God had put into my heart to do at Jerusalem. Nor was there any animal with me except the one which I rode. So here's what happens. This guy has this vision of what to do. God has put it on his heart. God has explained it to him. And he doesn't go blabbing it all over. He doesn't ride into Jerusalem and say, <clears throat> excuse me, Nehemiah's here. And I have come to rescue you guys. I've come to build the wall, and we're going to fix everything. And when I'm done, it's going to be better than ever. He's quiet. He doesn't have to boast about it. When God has put you in a place to serve him, you don't have to tell everybody else. You just serve him. You just do what God has told you. Others are going to see God's hand and God moving in your life and they will understand that. So I, I love this. Listen, he gathered a couple people. He says, okay, let's go check things out. I guess he's on a donkey. He's got this animal on which he rode. And then in verse 13, it says, I went out by night through the valley gate to the serpent well and the refuse, ga and, and the refuse gate and viewed the walls of Jerusalem, which were broken down, and its gates, which were burned with fire. Then I went on to the fountain gate and to the king's pool, but there was no room for the animal under me to pass. So I went up in the night by the valley, and I viewed the wall. Then I turned back, and I entered the valley gate, and so I returned. Now, some people are trying to figure out every nuance of this. Here's what happened. He went out, and he looked at the walls. Like, don't get all freaked out about, well, I don't know where that gate was. I don't know where that pool was. I don't know where that well was. Well, no, you don't, but the people he was writing to did. Here's what happened, man. Nehemiah went out and he surveyed what was to be done. He checked it out. And he went out quietly and he did that. And then it says, listen, then, then I came back in in verse 16. And the officials did not know where I had gone, meaning there in Jerusalem, or what I had done. I had not yet told the Jews, the priests, the nobles, the officials, or the others who did the work. No one knew what I was doing. But I was getting ready. I think some of the greatest work we do for the Lord is done quietly and behind the scenes. And saints, if God is putting something on your heart, number one, you need to be praying like he was praying. Number two, you need to be willing to go like he went. Sometimes that's the hardest part. And number three, you need to go quietly about what the Lord has shown you. You don't need to be tooting your horn. You don't need to get a, you know, get a shofar and just go do what God has shown you to do. And put your hand to the plow and start doing it. And sometimes, listen, man, I think most often our greatest work is done quietly. Just quietly go along about it. I believe in the ministry I have that's public and I'm up here talking I still think my greatest work is when I'm studying. And the Lord and I are quiet and my door is shut. 
and I'm just quiet with him. And he's working in me. And saints, that's what we need to remember, man. Nehemiah is not just serving. Nehemiah is preparing his heart. This is what's going to happen, and I'm going to be part of this. And I think inside, man, I think inside he's churning like, oh, my gosh. This place is worse than I thought. This is horrible. God, you want me to fix this? And he's just kind of churning in there. I know that feeling. And he's showing you stuff, and, and you know that God wants you to do it, but you are so afraid to step out and do it, and even, even especially maybe even after you surveyed it. I remember when we bought the land here in town for the building next door, and we started the project, and one of our elders in particular said, we can't do this. It'll never work. And it's like, Pastor Jack and I are kind of cut from the same cloth, like, let's put our heads down and let's just do it. We'll figure it out. Do we have enough money? Nope. <laughs> How are you gonna finish it? We'll finish it. We'll figure it out. And that's, listen, I think that's as, that's as great as having some grandioso vision. Put your head down and do it. And so he's looking at it, and I'm sure he's in there going, this will never work, but we're going to do it. We are going to do it. Then, verse 17, listen what he says. Then I said to them, you see the distress that we are in and how Jerusalem lies in waste and its gates are burned with fire? Here's what I love, man. Look at how, look at how horrible this looks. Right? Isn't that what he's saying? This is a disaster. And then I love it. He says, come and let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer be approached. Here's what he said. What we're looking at is atrocious. So let's get busy. Saints, when you're looking at your life or you're looking at a wall or you're looking at your heart or even if you look at, even if you look at our fellowship and go, this is a mess. Well, then you know what? Let's build it up. Not tear it down. Let's build it up. Let's fix this thing. And I, I kind of love this, man. Listen, listen, he doesn't sit there and go, I can't believe everybody before has just let this lay in waste. I can't believe the guys. I can't believe Ezra didn't get this done. And what about Zerubbabel? And what about those guys? Why didn't they do that? And sometimes, listen, that's all we ever do is complain why didn't instead of let's build this thing. Let's go forward. I look at it this way. The bus is leaving. You can get on the bus or you're gonna be under the bus. But we're going. Hallelujah, huh? Let's get going, and that, that's, what, that's, what, that's what I hear him saying. So let's get going, and then, and then he says in verse 18, he says, and I told them the hand of my God, which had been good upon me, and also the king, I told them about the, of the hand of God, which has been good upon me, and also of the king's word that he had spoken to me. So they said, let's go right let us rise up then they set their hands to this good work listen man he didn't have to pump them up a whole bunch here's what he said look at this mess now let's fix it and the hand of my God is on me and the king said go and these guys are going okay let's do this and then there's the naysayers right there's always those guys but when Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite official, now we have a third one, and Gershom the Arab heard of it, 
they laughed at us and despised us and said, what is this thing that you're doing? Will you rebel against the king? Listen, man, it's always those guys, right? What is the matter with you? Why would, what would make you think you could do this? And here's what I generally tell people, because I'm stupid. That's what would make me think I could do this. And I'm going to go for it. It'll never work. I love it when people, hey, when we were in that building and we outgrew that building in less than a year, I started looking at this land, and this was state land. And I went to a couple people and even one realtor in town, and I said, we wanna, we're going to work and see if we can get that state land. I'll never forget this guy. Here's what he told me. You will never get that land. Oh, don't tell me never. I'm Serbian. We're stubborn. Tell me never, I'm gonna put my head down harder. And then I talked to other people and they go, it's not gonna work, it's not gonna work. And then I called this lady in Tucson and, and, she, and she said, listen, now you're wanting to divide it because it's this, this plot went all the way over to uh, uh, the next street. No, thank you, Lensner, somebody's like, don't you know the streets? No, so I went all the way there and, and, there, and I go, we don't need that much land, we only want part of it. And she goes, oh. I, I'll never forget her. Well, if you're going to divide it up, that's going to take more, and, and then you only want this much. And she goes, you know, even, even if you got on the list, you'd be on the bottom of the list. So you're telling me there's a chance. That's what I heard. That's what I heard. She's going, it's a, I'm going, okay. And you go for it. Listen, man, and people are laughing at us. That's never going to happen. You're never going to get that. And here we are. Yeah. Hey, but listen, it's because of the hand of God and God moving in a mighty way. But saints, man, listen, you've got to look at this guy and here's the ones who come, well, that's not going to happen. And they're laughing at you and they're going, what's the matter with you? And besides that, the king doesn't like what you're doing. The state doesn't like what you're doing. The state will never sell you that. Well, guess what? You were wrong and we were right. And you gotta love that about this guy, huh? He goes, okay. And then he says, listen, so I answered them. I love this. Listen, this is how we should answer people. So I answered them and said to them, the God of heaven himself. Don't you love that, man? The God, God himself will prosper us. Therefore, we his servants will arise and build and you have no heritage or right or memorial in Jerusalem. Here's what he just said. Sanballat, Tobiah, and Geshem, get out the way. We're going. Wow, don't you love that? Hey, when that little voice in your head goes, it'll never work. You live like, th however, however it comes in your head. You've done that too many years. You need to say, the hand of my God himself will see to it I get delivered from that. My God, my God himself is gonna take care of that. And let's stand firm, man. You gotta love Nehemiah, right? You gotta love at this point. Here's what I'm thinking, man. Here's this guy. Hey, he's been out of the land. He's been away from everything spiritual for all of his life. He's been, he's been part of this other kingdom forever. And now, all of a sudden, man, here's this guy. My God is going to take care of it. Why could he say that? Because he got the king's favor, man. I don't think he ever thought that was going to happen. And the king goes, go for it. How long are you going to be gone? I don't know what he told the king. A couple years. 
tops. And then he says, comes back, well, you know how construction projects go. (laughs) They never get done on time. I don't know what he told the king, but hey, that gave him boldness. Here's, Here's the thing that we need to look at, saints. It's one step at a time. One step. Take that first step when your gut is like, take that step. And work through that step and take the next step and the next step. And pretty soon you're on the other side of the situation going, whoa, yes. And there we are. Let's stand up and pray. Lord, we do thank you so much, God, for your, for your love for us and for your goodness for us. And Lord, I think about, I think about what we're reading here and what we're looking at. And, and Lord, it's mind-boggling. And I'm sure that even, even reading it and getting excited about it, there is, it's so much grander than we could ever imagine. I imagine it's gonna be incredible to sit down and talk to Nehemiah and get his perspective of what was really going on. Oh, it's written this way, but man, He's just like us. He's not some super saint. But he was willing to trust his God. And I pray that we would come to the place where we could trust our God no matter what comes our way. No matter what wall needs to be reinforced. No matter how badly it's crushed and smashed down. That we would be people that know that our God is bigger than that. And that, Lord, all we have to do is trust you and look to you for the things that are coming against us and trust you, God. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.